0: Returning to the Rebel Transmission, we've got Gabe of LibreSolutionsNetwork.Substack.com. His mission is to educate people how to free themselves from the algorithm ghetto, as I call it, the dragnet surveillance and information control. How's life, Gabe?
1: It's great, and I'm happy to be back here with you. It's always a pleasure. How are you doing on this basically Canada Day, as you mentioned earlier? <laughs>
0: I'm doing pretty good i'm I'm recovering from I had some sort of bug uh and so yeah, I'm slowly recovering so th- this week, you know we take day by day week by week so this this day this week all is all is well, and um so much is going on uh and 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 sort of what what what's happening in in, in Canada world in the tech world what's interesting for you?
1: well, I believe we might have touched on it on my last appearance, but there is a bill being described as the most dangerous bill out there. S210, which is a Senate bill we have here in the works being supported by our conservatives and opposed by our liberals. Cause they have a online safety bill that is attempting to do effectively the same thing. There's, there's reach arounds from either direction, but fundamentally it wants to push for mandatory age verification for, well, ostensibly porn sites is the justification but the problem is, is that it, the legislation as written is so broad it will apply to things like search engines and social media sites. So really any platform that has user generated content will be mandated to use likely one of the third parties that are going to be established for this thing. And there are many concerns with this particular bill, but a lot of the justification because there was a phenomenal... Uh, question-and-answer interview Michael Geist did with the senator who actually put forward the bill. And there was a bit of back-and-forth where she basically argues you should just trust them that oh we'll fix it in regulation and if there's one thing we know for sure is that if the bill itself is bad the lay, just the regulation is not going to make anything better so it's very worrying and one of the initiatives I started to try to push back against that and honestly many other things that have been going on in cyber is I've launched a new website Cyber Freedom Canada at cyberfreedom.ca where not only do I want to push back against these awful bills in the tech space but I also really want to teach people on how we can work together in a decentralized way that actually sets better boundaries for trust, because I feel what has happened to a lot of the, you know, freedom organizations throughout the last couple of years is they kind of fall apart due to all kinds of different understandable problems. And I think if you can lower the amount of work into a smaller manageable point, we can actually have more people doing more together and really play to people's strengths. You know, artists can do art. Writers can look over documents and edit things and the you know the thing i'm really looking forward to is it can be bilingual i can show off some the french version because in canada here we have two official languages english and french and if somebody wants to help me translate it, i am all you know i will move heaven and earth to help make that happen that's for sure
0: yeah and again people can check out your your, your sub stack your website cyberfreedom.com CA and they're trying to do the same thing in the EU I, I, just one example of pushback when it comes to the green agenda um, I think yesterday Ursula Gertrud von der Leyen Frau Ursula um, they said that they're not going to go along with the 50 percent cuts to the I think the subsidies for oh wow. um, the, the, the the fertilizer and so the farmers pushed back and so again if we try to do the same thing with the digital uh, aspect we could maybe have some success or at least buy some time. Uh, right. <laughs> for 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 the algorithm ghetto and you know when when they say trust us i don't know if you, you you heard the story and get your thoughts on this ruckus and i were discussing on how the american government pressured amazon to censor books and you know the the story i had i i interviewed this deep state guy and i amazon would not let me um leave a review for his book and i think it's put that same system that the white house was using um to, to pressure Amazon and it's just crazy your your, your thoughts on that
1: well, I think that's why one of the things I think is one of the more crucial objectives for those of us wanting to reclaim territory in cyberspace is individuals need to set up their own websites. We do need non-commercial. We do need real passion projects to decentralize and democratize the information landscape. That is such a huge part of this because the platforms are going to be leaned on by government. We will never be able to fully expect every corporation to put you know their existence ahead of the pressures of the time and so I think if we allow you know if we really push for people to have their own independent spaces as much as possible we can really at least having a better incentive to push those kinds of things away and i think when it comes to government leaning on platforms and institutions it really is only getting started i think people really underestimate how far it can go because up until this point you know for instance i reported on you getting uh, geopolitics and empire being platformed from spotify i believe you said
0: soundcloud um, well just, SoundCloud, just one episode sorry, yeah
1: Right. Just one episode. And the thing is, is that that's kind of them doing it themselves to cover their butts, so to speak. But when it comes to the age verification and the broad expansion of what's considered harmful or you know needs to be purged from the internet, I am very concerned that these platforms are going to be directly managed by corporations, kind of in the way we saw in the Twitter files. But that was not a one-off. That is probably the operating policy moving forward if it is not actively opposed
0: yeah and it's getting tiring you know gabe of hopping (laughs) from web host to web host podcast provider to podcast provider video host to video host you know youtube and i just i'm kind of like i'm just tired you know like i'm i'm ready to go sell tacos at the beach here in Mexico or or, or something. And you know, I think I was I was looking at Whitney Webb's latest podcast. She mentioned how the public version is on Rockfin and SoundCloud. So I'm I gather she still uses SoundCloud also like I do. But um yeah the company's based in Germany and they censored my chat with biotech consultant. So someone in the industry, yeah. right? Christy yeah. Grace. Somebody. um and then there's no telling tomorrow they can delete more and then and then if I transfer to another podcast host uh, who's they might do the same thing eventually, right? Because I would think the majority of these platforms would be plugged into this system, no?
1: Yeah, they're all fundamentally going to be regulated the same by these systems. And I think the most important thing for those of us in ostensibly democracies need to do what we can to reassert that governments do not have the right to actively manage these things and that corporations themselves shouldn't be actively policing what is legal and protected speech. But honestly, it even goes quite beyond that because there's the surveillance side of this. The censorship really does seem to be a justification to build an infrastructure that will control information on both sides of the supply and demand curve. You know, as you mentioned, by being kicked off, it makes it so hard to have to switch to figure out what you're going to do. And that really warps the markets because guess what? The people saying regime propaganda don't have that problem and that saves them time, money, and effort. That is a very serious advantage that I think seriously warps the information landscape. When it comes to these kind of mechanisms, I believe governments are now since they've normalized it within the COVID crisis period they are now seriously pushing to really entrench the gains they secured by making people believe it is ideal to control the narrative fundamentally.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know I've got I, I'm cyanide built. I think we are going into this Orwellian <laughs> Brave New World dystopia, uh, and it's just going to be a wild ride. Uh, and um, I, and I, I take approach. I, t- I take a garisha. Ge- approach as we say in, in spanish uh decentralized be as decentralized as you can and as many platforms as you can so i just kind of shrug. so that they took the audio uh of that uh podcast off so it's not on any podcast player anymore mm. right um spotify apple it's gone right but if you go to my website it's the, the video versions are still there so still that's nice. that decentralized approach they take the audio but hey guess what i'm still on rumble rockfin brighteon I can't even remember them all, uh, and now on Substack. And so I think that that's the way we have to look at it going forward. It's time for our headlines. Gabe, we'll be right back. All right, we're chatting with Gabe, his website's again, libre LibreSolutions.network, LibreSolutionsNetwork.substack.com. I see you were interviewed. I was beginning to listen to the episode Mindwalled. Uh, I guess you were just a guest there. That That's not your yes. podcast?
1: It's my friend who is also on the Fediverse. I've talked about the Fediverse a bit, decentralized social networking. And he's somebody who is very technical, arguably more technical than me in some ways actually. And we had a great conversation about specifically the Fediverse, decentralized technology in general, and really what us as people who are actively working on these problems from the purely technological angle, how we kind of see these problems, how we approach them, what we see going on in the free and open source software community, because that is an even bigger discussion to really zero in on at some point, because unfortunately there are a lot of people who, when they see something and, oh, this is open source software, that doesn't always mean it's perfect or pristine. And one of the things I think I might have cautioned in that particular episode where I was like, hey, switching to Linux is great. You will regain a lot of autonomy and make huge strides towards taking control over your own computing environment, but like anything else, with extra power there's more responsibility and so One of the, I guess, fallacies that's out there is people are like, oh, so I'm free from all cyber threats. And fundamentally, all the same mistakes you can make on Windows to infect your own system do exist on Linux. You can still install software that does terrible things. But the advantage is is that it gives you an environment where you can actually be in control. So if you're trying to avoid, say, something like Microsoft or Apple having access to your data on a proactive and active basis, at least you have the tools to restrict that. And that requires some learning that requires some effort on the user's part, and mm-hmm. some diligence to make sure you're not making simple mistakes. But that's really one of the things that I liked about going on this mindwalled discussion where, yes, it does take a bit of learning to participate in some of these conversations. But I do think it is really valuable to think, honestly, the next steps, the Public conversation can only go so deep. And once you dive deeper, you do need to take these issues more seriously in more detail. And I'm glad I was able to join my friend Theory to have that conversation.
0: Yeah, just the other day, I, I re-downloaded it. I've got a de-Googled phone and one that's Googled mm-hmm. and um, I still use it for some stuff. And I, I reinstalled WhatsApp and I'm just thinking like, should I use it or not? And I'm like, <laughs> why? I have survived years now without WhatsApp because you know there are certain people that are easier to reach uh, on that, yeah. and so, of course, I don't, I don't know, uh, and 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 uh, there are per- particularly some interesting European guests that I can only reach through WhatsApp. So, but mm. uh, I, I did want to touch on the, the data shedding. Uh, which you did a, again. People can check this out. This is from a, like a, I don't think we I don't think we talked about this about a month ago. You did a ten minute video on data sh- shedding, and I'm thinking more and more about this. And, you know, just one example. I've got an old phone, a OnePlus that I don't really use. There's like one app uh, on there that I need or something, and I, I fire it up right, and then on my other phone or on the computer when I'm using Twitter, an ad appeared for OnePlus. Right on a separate device. So I was using my old OnePlus phone, and then somehow there's this data shedding where they can figure out that I use the OnePlus, and they know it's me, the device ID, and then my other device. They showed me the ad for maybe to buy a new OnePlus, and this is absolutely insane. And I think more and more, I think this is one of the most important topics when it comes for us to try trying to protect our privacy is, is from the, the data shedding metadata and, and all this sort of stuff Your your thoughts.
1: The state of mass surveillance is way like, honestly, incomprehensible to most people. I saw the report by the Irish council for civil liberties, where they were talking about this process that I called data shedding because I was trying to emphasize that it is real time and pervasive and honestly, kind of unintuitive how it works is that when you receive an advertisement say you open a web browser and there's an ad that's loading it's happening in real time really quick in less than a second it doesn't require your interaction you visit that web page you open that app whether it's x whether it's google whether it's apple regardless of what particular ad network is participating in this process it is a system called programmatic advertising And programmatic advertising involves an immense amount of information that is being leaked because what happens is they auction off that ad space in real time to buyers. Somebody wants to buy that space and they are again in real time conveying that information on, oh, I have a user right here on this system with whatever information that system may or may not have on you at the time to participate in creating that auction. And then the bidders will bid on it and that's what presents you an ad. It's called programmatic advertising. You can look up how it works on YouTube. I tried to demonstrate why It's nefarious, though, because while on the one hand, it's like, oh, this is simple. They are just buying ads. What's wrong with this? The problem is money flows in one direction, but information flows in the opposite direction. So if you have intelligence agencies or honestly just a nefarious ad buyer who is storing this information to repackage to other data brokers and data services and warehouses, it is quite possible to build profiles on people and actually where i found out about this report was on a mastodon post by somebody raising the alarm that they had found a company that does you know private national security services where they were building dashboards on people based off this information and so the report by the irish council for civil liberties talks about europe's security crisis where they actually found that European leaders, and they found even a Catholic priest, that could be blackmailed just on their advertisement, advertising metadata alone, which is terrifying to think about. And it's really practical because it means every time you interact with these systems, you are shedding data to this system or data beast, as I would really call it
0: yeah and you know we've talked previously about ways to protect ourselves from this your website is a great resource uh, as well there's nothing perfect as you mentioned linux de phones I've mentioned before how the Mexican government and cartels here are using Titan software now in Mexico where they can just punch in my name uh and wow. find where I am right uh even if I have a Googled phone because they're using your sim the, the sim service the the, the cell towers uh and then they can have, figure out like i get, I don't know if fully if they have access to my bank account or they can see what i have in there or, or or just where i'm banking i think they can probably see what's in the bank account i mean it's just like there's nowhere to hide um well the,
1: the wild thing is i find one of the things that's really hard for people to understand this problem is that innocuous information put together can reveal very interesting patterns like they don't necessarily have to know your bank balance when simply they know how often you're checking it, which can imply how often you're getting paid, which can be associated with, say, your entire social graph, which is something they probably would have. And they can probably come up with a great guess. The, The thing with this level of real time surveillance and when you're doing it on a population scale, you don't need to be right in every instance, especially if you're not intervening in every instance. So I think when it comes to what kinds of information these data gathering systems can come up with, it is actually way more invasive than one would think based off the raw data points collected.
0: Yeah, I, I um, totally agree. I mean, metadata, uh, they, they can almost get as much data with with that sort of stuff um, as if they had the, the, the direct um, access. And I don't know if you heard this story, uh, Li Feng, uh, journalist was reporting on this I think today uh, logical. AI um basically how companies like this uh, now they're rolling out it's this software that's the way I translated it is that the intelligence agencies now are rigging elections. They're going to use logical.ai with social media to determine what is disinformation Malinformation is uh, um, you know which is true information that they don't like and it's almost like there's no more democracy we've got the intelligence agencies embedded with social media um and you know people like robert epstein has proof that google sways by the millions you know elections whichever way that they want and so i just feel like we don't have any more democracy the intelligence agencies are running the show you know any thoughts on i don't know if you've um, looked into the logical data that ai or uh thoughts on elections and manipulation
1: I'd like to look at those more closely in general, but I think To the degree this is a problem, this is an amazing rallying cry to really get involved because I would almost argue when it comes to the legacy media and how we all understand the problems with how the mainstream media operates, and now we're seeing how these data systems are being used to actually manipulate people on things that matter, now is the best time to think about proactively having important conversations with your friends and family and anyone you can get in touch with and really getting involved because I think how these systems operate is they rely on the people who can be swayed. If you actually understand the issues and have a stake in them and realize why you have a stake in them, you're not going to be swayed by just an advertisement reminding you that something is going on. And so if people take it upon themselves to generally educate those around them on the issues, at least they find important, we can collectively absolutely outpower these top down control mechanisms because I think where it gets kind of misleading is that this is all about cost and effort. I guarantee you it will not be possible to overwhelm most people being really active in understanding and having a real dialogue with their You know, friends and families and people they care about because it gets so much more expensive to do even more manipulation, more data gathering, all the more on top of that. Every little bit somebody does to counteract this top down control makes it so much more complicated, so much more unfeasible. So I don't think it's hopeless. And especially when it comes to things like elections, people will argue elections don't matter. And I would push back against that to the degree that there are real policies put on the books that are used for justifications for all kinds of awful things. We can only imagine how bad it would be for a country during the COVID crisis if they had mandatory vaccination laws on the books. And so it was great that we had a lot of people pushing back. And I think the cost of liberty is the price of eternal vigilance we have to be proactive about understanding issues looking at them seriously with our proper due diligence and more importantly sharing what we can with others which is where i fundamentally think we do need to up our game we do need to be innovative and think of new ways or even old ways that are really effective to get to, to work on this process. I think there is a lot we can do. I don't think it's hopeless, but I do think it's going to require a lot of work that somebody who kind of just want, is hoping things will go okay, it's, it's, it's not that level of effort. It is a significant level of effort.
0: Yeah, and it's just as an example here in Mexico, it's often the case when the government introduces insane legislation like, um, you know, with the vehicle emissions last year was the first time they implemented that you always get a, a crowd of mexicans that go down to the government building and start protesting like like crazy and you know mm. that that's a really good um example you know we had the example i think a year or two ago the nuevo leon governor samuel garcia who wanted to alter the state's constitution where it's like that meme from Saturday Night Live about Venezuela, <laughs> straight to jail, right? You you overcook, yeah. <laughs> you undercook the fish straight to jail, uh, believe it or not. And he was saying if you insult him on social media, you would straight get jail. 36 hours jail and a fine. And then there was enough noise about it where he was like, OK, OK, j- just kidding. You know, he was like I, I, I didn't see that article in the change of the constitution so um i mean <laughs> right. that's i think that's one real world example of what you are talking about and it's time for our break again websites are uh libresolutionsnetwork.substack.com or libresolutions.network we'll be right back all right, our final segment here, time is flying. Uh, final segment with Gabe. Uh, subscribe to his substack, Solutions Network. Substack.com. A lot of great resources when it comes to privacy, surveillance, cybersecurity, or uh libido network. if you prefer. He's got his RSS feed. And I saw you mentioned um CJ Hopkins, right? Who I've I've right. interviewed at least twice. I think I interviewed him back in 2020, and he told me that. My video interview with him was the first time he like did a video uh interview which is pretty wow cool uh and you know he's American he's been 20 years in Germany he is he escaped just like me I I left in 2006 because uh I realized America was a totalitarian empire on its decline and I'm like I got to get out of dodge and he chose Germany and I ended up in Mexico but you know he tweeted that uh, during covid during the the the, the Nazi covid era he called the German health minister a Nazi. If if you ask me, rightfully so. And then on the cover of his book, um, he had a not a swastika with the face mask. That art was created by Anthony Frieda, who I've also interviewed here on, on TNT. People can mm-hmm. check the archive. He does great work. Um, so he yeah. was acquitted, and the government had a week to appeal the acquittal, and they did. Uh, and so now uh, <laughs> is he's not. Uh, he, he's not. Um, He's not free yet, but it's just insane, you know, your, your thought on, on his case.
1: Yeah, I think it is really quite a crucial case. It is definitely worth supporting if you can. I really do admire C.J. Hopkins. I think one of the things he does really quite excellently is he will cut – You know, there's a lot of nuance and complexity to a bunch of different issues, but he will cut down to the truth on many different issues. And I do admire that about him. And he does it in a way that can be quite humorous. And that's something I might even envy a little bit. I don't think my writing is as funny, and I certainly would like to be, but I I think that might be outside my skill set. The thing is, is, I think, at least for Americans, it's really important to consider that many of us across the world do not actually have the same benefits when it comes to a strong First Amendment and protections for it in case law. I'm in Canada. C.J. Hopkins was in Germany. And it's quite tragic in the sense that in the name of censoring speech to prevent hate or other uncomfortable things, the truth is, is that these laws are now being weaponized and arguably have been weaponized for some time to really shut down on any dissent. If you can slander, like Trudeau did at the convoy, that, oh, we saw a flag there, therefore you're all horrible people, is really just terrible. And you see it even now, where there are many protests about what's going on in the Middle East, and there are people calling to ban various gatherings. And hey, whether or not you have a dog in that fight, I think it is something we have to be very careful about on what we are allowing governments to limit in terms of our expression. And so CJ Hopkins case is really important because it affects us all, whether or not people in different countries are allowed to speak out about issues and dissent against policies that are kind of being done in lockstep all over the world, does shape the discussion. Because unless it's got to be only Americans pushing back against things, that may end up being the case if this marches forward. Or instead, Americans can use the First Amendment that they have, and the strong protections for it to not only appreciate it for what the boon it is for their society, but also to really take a serious look at some of these issues and how speech is controlled across the world, because it is really easy to be like, oh, well, the censorship won't get that bad, but it does across the world. CJ Hopkins, ironically, from what I remember him talking about, his case was not even censored for the cover it being on the cover of his book, but because it was a tweet of the cover of his book, which is really just kind of absurd. When you think about you're not allowed to criticize this crazy ramp up of actual totalitarianism and if you dare compare it to historic totalitarianism they effectively create a monopoly on it you're only allowed to call what convoy supporters nazis now like that's honestly abhorrent and it's tragic to see The loss of free expression in many countries where we arguably do have a broad right to express ourselves. The challenge is that the exceptions have now been widened by all these different, I kind of see them as crowbars. You know, this bill S210, I mentioned at the start of the show about how they just want to add ID verification to the website. That is a crowbar that will allow for censorship and control because it'll mandate site blocking. And if we think it's just about pornography, I think CJ Hopkins trial is a perfect example of how speech policing will be used in every context possible by states and governments, especially when it impacts their policies.
0: I was just thinking, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to be with CJ in the algorithm ghetto in the cyber <laughs> gulag in the electronic the, concentration camp.
1: Good company, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, you know, again, and it's it's always so in-your-face Orwellian, war is peace. Men are women today, right? Boys are girls. Two plus two equals five. And the whole point during COVID, I bought right behind me ten dollars on eBay from an antique dealer in Italy the Nazi Achnen Pass, which was used hmm. to prove your biological purity that oh, you were wow. Aryan. And I bought this during COVID. And I, huh. and I there's the separate one that's specifically the Nazi health pass. And I'm like, that's what the COVID pass was. And the whole point of using the, the the Holocaust or the Nazi regime was to appreciate the, the history and the dangers of what happened there, right? To warn of this new budding totalitarianism, which is how it's supposed to work. You're not denigrating um, the <laughs> right. Holocaust; you're actually honoring it. The, the, I mean, what what happened there? The the, the tragedy and in, in reusing it to war they said never again that's the whole point never again which we need to remind ourselves so what's, what's happening right now it's, it's the, the, the early stages and so um there's that, that and then you know
1: uh-huh that reminds me of an excellent documentary series i saw on children's health defense the never again is now global specifically really explaining that comparison when it comes to the covid totalitarianism and i do think if one has doubt that is a good resource to start opening your mind to that possibility. But on top of it, I am wholeheartedly behind you. You know, I remember growing up and, you know, Holocaust education was part of my upbringing and it was staggering seeing Canadians kind of go into lockstep with this. I'm like, what were we warned about if it wasn't that this total top-down control could override people's rights and that we're not supposed to let it happen? I don't know. I was staggered. It was, it was, it was shocking on all kinds of levels. And I really do hope that moving forward, this kind of gets rid of the spell for people. I do hope people really do recognize what the warnings actually are and learn from them because at least now we have a more recent and relevant reminder for people who may find it too, too distant in the past. I guess you can make real comparisons and it is important to keep in mind that people do suffer under tyranny. You know, tyranny is not this abstract, sad thing that makes you know rich people upset or whatever somebody on the you know far left would kind of call it no it is a real human tragedy that has real consequences and does cause an immense amount of suffering so just because somebody can want to grab power to solve what they consider problems you know this is where i'm worried about some aspects of the right becoming a little totalitarian because they're like oh well if our enemies are going to do it to us why, why why be any better and I would hope that people would recognize that this kind of ability to protect each other's human rights is something I consider an obligation for all of us. And I really hope that people consider what kind of world they want to bring in.
0: And the naysayers don't know history. I was making the point as a history major, former professor and teacher. It's like, you know, I um, IBM created the first paper computer for Hitler for the Holocaust. IBM was creating, uh, working on the COVID digital pass. Um, you know, on and on stuff. So Rockefeller was uh, advising Hitler on his eugenicist policies. Uh, Rockefeller was working on the COVID policies. The foundation, you know, um, the the health pass. Nazi Germans had the health pass. We had the COVID health pass. It's like literally the same stuff. But we got three minutes left, and uh, you know, I was going to mention as well other stories. How Russia is is clamping down as well. A uh, recent report that ban on advertising VPN services to take effect March 1st in Russia. So Russia's coming after VPNs. Uh, and, and also, this story, these stories now, um, this recent one regarding Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, where it says that um, Zuckerberg's secret weapon for AI is your Facebook data. Ah, uh, so they're gonna be using your face anything you put on Facebook and Instagram, and then I was reading Google as well. Google AI is now going to sift through. if if you use Gmail, they all of the text in your 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 emails, documents, if you're using Google Docs, images, videos, they're gonna have all of that. We've got two minutes left, you know your 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 thoughts on um, AI, how it's gonna sift all of our info now.
1: Well, I really would want to double down specifically when it comes to all the different aspects of this problem do not comply applies to technology as well. If you are opting into many of these technological systems and give constantly giving over information, there is a cost to doing that. Truthfully, I have reservations about being on Substack. I do think it is an excellent tool to allow me to reach a certain audience. And I think that has been very successful. But there is a reason why I maintain a great deal of my content, if not all of it, on my website, on uh, I might have my own peer tube hosting. I want to demonstrate that it is possible to be at least as sovereign as possible. And I think every step towards that direction when it comes to your own information you're trying to collect, but also information about you when it comes to privacy, those are very important goals. Oddly enough, speaking of Substack, I think it's very easy for people to get stuck into the same kind of traps. I, I shared this post by Steve Kirsch where he was asking people to build, I forgive me what it was named. It was called X transfer or something. It had X in it, which is its own red flag for me these days. And he's really like, oh, let's build a blockchain system to f- solve authentication and money transfers and whatever. And I don't actually want an open source everything app. I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is people actually taking time to take control over their digital autonomy and then figuring out the solutions from there
0: all right we are out of time uh again tell us 40 seconds the best places where we can it's, it's always great chatting with you hopefully you'll join us again soon tell us where uh we can find you uh, in the metaverse
1: Yes, thank you. I'm at to LibraSolutions.network and I, of course, have my sub stack at network.substack.com. I also have a PeerTube at PeerTube.LibraSolutions.network and I also am on the Fediverse, but that will be for another time. Thank you all and I'm very pleased to be here.
0: Always great chatting. I, I pronounce it as Libre, Libre, like in, in, in Spanish. Um, uh, all right, Steve <laughs> Mossberg is up next. Stay tuned to be seeing you.